Hi, my name is Gideon Commands. I'm Aaron Buckley. And this is the Railroad Study. You're supposed to say it with me, Aaron. This is, this is the, the Railroad, Railroad Study, Study Show. Show. We're on our, uh, this is the third episode, right? No, four. Yeah. I'm starting to lose count now. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so today, I really wanted to talk to something that's near and dear to my heart. But uh, before that, I would do at the previous episode with we have a boatload of railroad news to go, go through. A boatload. But uh, before we get to that, I wanted to talk about the importance of train simulators and liking trains. So for me, uh, a story. When I was at the small age of five, a small lad, I had access to the internet and I came across this free train simulator called Bosa View Express. It was called BVE. Now, at the time, BVE was doing quite well. This was about 2005 or so, 2006. And a lot of free content was made for the simulator. For some reason, I was a very smart five-year-old to figure out how to download a train simulator and install. Yeah, that, that's st- impressive. Yeah. I think at that point in my life, my entire interaction was with the internet was opening AOL, hearing that you've got mail <laughs> sound, and then looking on the keyboard and typing in pbs.org and playing like cyber chase games. Oh my God, cyber chase. I forgot about that show entirely. No one no one else will understand turn-of-the-century childhood. <laughs> so when I was small, actually before that, my grandparents came over and they got for me a copy of Microsoft Train Simulator. And uh, I remember I, one of my earliest memories was uh, I liked to play with uh, Amtrak on the Northeast Corridor. And you had a choice between the Acela, you had an HHP-8, and then... Um, my grandma actually installed for me a, a Norfolk Southern Dash 9 that I loved the pieces. Really? Yeah. And even though it wasn't prototypical, I would I would play with it on the Northeast Corridor. And uh, I couldn't drive the train quite right, so I, I would keep getting penalties for overspeeding, where the train would stop every 60... 60- What's wrong with the train? I grew up with, like, a train simulator just, like, a very... A very important part of my childhood and um i think with the point where i was getting out with uh both of you express bve is that at the time i got into it i was about five or six they had this massive community of and the thing i love about this train simulator especially why i want to talk about it is because all the content was free everything was free um the route was free the software was free and i'd say they had close to 100 trains uh, British trains that you could install from different creators. They were all a little bit different. Uh, you can install Japanese stuff and stuff from other countries. But the thing that really got my attention was British trains. And um, when I started playing that game, my, my love for British trains just blossomed, which is really weird for a six-year-old from Chicago <laughs> to know what a Class 37 is. <laughs> um, but that love really followed me my entire life and i think it's the biggest factor why i love british trains so much i think if you're not real thing you can't understand why trains have so much significance that's something i've tried to do and it really just doesn't work i think you just have to kind of know as weird as it sounds it's a very uh intuitive i, I don't want to call it a cult but it's kind of like a cult to like trains because you just you, you just hang around people who like trains and talk about trains it's very weird the church of filmers exactly <laughs> when i was six or seven my teachers would get me in trouble because i was drawing british trains. and the thing is is that they they didn't even know what i was drawing he said this no train no train i've ever seen looks like this <laughs> real that's that's what they say just like well it's a real train I can assure you that. Okay, if you say so, (laughs) Giddy. The reason why I want to share this parable is because it's been 15 years, and I actually reinstalled the train simulator today. I was playing it a little bit. And for some reason, it was like this very deep and visceral emotion of my childhood. If you ever watch Ratatouille, the food reviewer, goes back in time to when he was a little kid, when he tastes the rat's food. If you've never watched Ratatouille, you need to. I mean, um, I think you just spoiled the, the ending of the film. <laughs> <People> <laughs> you never watched Rat 
Ratatouille oh, look, for you. I'm sorry. If you haven't seen Ratatouille by now, that's kind of on you at this point. You never were going to. Like this You never is had like, the intent. If you haven't seen the sixth Harry Potter movie, like, <laughs> you can't be mad if someone tells you that Dumbledore dies. Because, like, that's just, like... <sighs> You've missed the boat on that one, you know. As I reinstalled uh, the trains, and um, I actually did a lot of research onto the Internet uh, Archive machine, the Wayback machine, mm. uh, which you may or may not be familiar with, but it goes back in time. It saves some of the websites people visited. I just really Including had this like the website for Windows on the World, the yes. World Trade Center's restaurant. That was so sad. But um, no, I had this very visceral reaction to seeing trains and routes so like a lot of the routes are fake but like that they were such an important part of my childhood i just remembered what it was like to uh to be small again and i think the thing that really struck me is that the people who made who did the work on this free transom layer had no idea about how much it would affect my life you mm-hmm. know i think that trains are a vital part of me uh, as my experience as a person but like British trains in particular, I have a very, very, very fond love of. And it's really, not to overemphasize it, but it's really became part of me and my life and what I like to do. And some of my favorite things that I, I, I not stand for, but that people associate me with. So last year, I actually had the opportunity to go to England and ride some of the trains that I played on as a kid for the first time. And uh, I remember my first night at Victoria Station, I actually cried because it was like, you know, this has been a lifelong journey finally brought to, well, not a form of completion because, uh, of course, I want to go back, hopefully, but finally achieve. And I I think it's actually quite, um, quite telling about the human condition that, you know, someone can make something as an expression of their love towards an idea or in this case, a train. And literally change someone's life for it and never even know it down the line. So I I actually got pretty sad today because like a lot of these websites have been down for 15 or 20 years. I, I don't know if some of the people who worked on these projects are actually dead, you know, and now in a way I'm carrying their legacy by by playing trains which is which sounds pretty dumb but it's it's pretty awesome at the same time and i thought it was a a, a very profound thought and you know there's other train simulators out there the train simulator i found was just very niche but i i, I liked how it being free led to me expanding myself and my story as an individual so i just take a deep moment of appreciation as far as that goes and um i just do want to say that you know i think that other children's stories and may even grown adults too their idea of the world is being expanded by train simulation as 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 nerdy as that sounds it's really eye-opening to expose yourself to new ideas and new things. I think that that, that explore exploration of new trains for rail fans, you know, is something very, very healthy and honestly life changing to have. But uh, I think that you know, as time goes on, we're going to see the story a lot more and more, where people, you know, historically loved trains based on where they were located their favorite railroad but now people's horizons are a lot more broadly expanded because of the internet yeah in this case it brought me across the ocean i didn't have train simulators growing up Mm. because my mom didn't let us have like any video games growing up man that's rough (laughs) you were just saying how like it was more like based on where you live Mm. um that's more related to yeah to to my interest in trains well i know that i've talked to you before you've had that interest of trains since you were little right yeah yes since i was very young um, did you ever did you ever get distracted in school and start drawing like M8s or something? No, I would draw like um little like subway map type. Mm. I still kind of do. Um, I think th- I think the downfall of every rail fan is that I'd be drawing maps in my notebook and people would be asking why I'd be drawing. I said I'm drawing a railroad and they just <laughs> couldn't understand cuz it looked nothing like a train. <laughs> so just yeah. like 
Use your brain cells. Think, man, think. I, I wasn't expecting the conversation to shift this way, but now it's getting a lot more interesting about, I think like every rail fan has like a coming of age process where they deal with the same questions from everyone. So for me, when I was in middle school, I remember this very clearly. Um, I actually drew my own rapid transit system and uh, I actually designed my own city and uh, I have a map of it uh, somewhere, which, which I'll have to dig out. Did you do the same when, uh, growing up? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I, I came up with a few of my own cities. I had some wacky ideas like um, double decker light rail subway. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my 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 rapid transit system was actually connected to a larger map it was mm. it was it was an island that was Ameri- it was somewhere in america and i never i lost the notebook i can never find it again but i remember what i drew and uh, the main city uh on the island or the capital city was called union city and uh i'll i'll have to i'll have to find the maps but um i had some very interesting ideas it was loosely based off chicago but then there was this rapid transit line that followed the coast and then went off towards the sea on like a two mile pier to serve an island. Mm. Really, really, really strange stuff. And it was like more, uh, it was more like an interurban type deal. I was kind of imagining like a, a lecture liner just like going down this pier in the middle of nowhere. Wait, just... I'm going to be right back. All right. And I'm back. What I have with me here is a binder filled with drawings and maps and such that I did as a kid. Um, let's see what we have here. Crazy cities oh and track maps. Yes! And, uh, like subway station diagrams. And so this is when I did the double-decker light rail thing. I was like, re- tried to reimagine a subway system for New York that was like, light rail (laughs) Um, and all these lines just went really crazy directions i was really into like subway history came up with like the the companies like the irt rit mqt oh rit is roosevelt island transit i because obviously Roosevelt Island should have a double-decker light rail subway <laughs> system of its own. MQT was Manhattan Queens Transit. Look at this. Look at look at how great the Staten Island service would be. Oh my goodness. It loops yeah. in on itself. Yeah, and I would just like draw like maps of cities and like imaginary like medieval towns and shit. Hang on, Aaron. I'm going to be right back. I'm going to fetch my own archives from the Museum of Gideon. Okay, so I'm just showing Gideon my map of the city that I created that I imagined like an entire subway system for and I did these station diagrams and I designed the trains which were like these real like old school trolley looking things um and like oh wow I draw like the street layout and like where the like station house would be like entrances the more like complex stations or like quite detailed. So I had a train that went to the the airport in this city. The city was called Port Davis. Now, because it went to the airport, it had to be a monorail in the airport because as we all know, all airport trains are monorails. Yep. But, but you know, it was also part of the rest of the subway system which had, you know, two rails. So I designed this train where it had there had three <laughs> wheels and like the middle wheel would like lower down when it went onto the the monorail portion the other two wheels would come up you should uh you should work in bass country because that sounds like a talgo idea <laughs> or is it caf that's the oh no it is caf i'm wrong this is great before i show you this incredible so okay when you get to the the top of manhattan in real life so the one train goes across like the broadway bridge which is like a it's a lift bridge and it crosses over the harlem river ship canal and the train's quite high there and it's like this deep cut so in this city of mine that i made up port davis similarly there was you know at the northern end of this island here right you go across into this area which is kind of like the bronx of this city but there's an island in the middle right the train goes across like a bridge that's pretty high up and so i had this design i did this station that was like on the bridge on the bridge and i can't seem to find my drawings for it anywhere and you had to like take like elevators down to the island 
Hmm. Because um, it was so high up. Well, how um, would they get building materials there? Probably by barge. Yeah, but this, this is perhaps my, my masterpiece here. It is at the bottom of this city's equivalent of the East River. There was an aquarium, and the way this aquarium works is it's just a big glass dome at the bottom of this river. So you could like see all the, the wildlife in this city's equivalent of the East River. And so there was like a station in the middle of like an under the under river, the river tube for this aquarium. And I drew like cool. emergency uh, evacuation pods for this tunnel that would like release from the tunnel and float up to the surface if the, you needed to like evacuate for whatever reason. Yeah, that's a very Dahir and Sat moment. Uh, I wrote a little synopsis here. It says, synopsis, built in 1930 by the ITS. This tunnel is the longest in the city. The city made the ITS build emergency evacuation pods, exclamation point. The tunnel also has an underwater station for Aquaria, the famous aquarium. <laughs> and it's, it's, one, it's one long tunnel because if you look at the map of the city, you'll notice that you know, in the middle of the city, you have this this island that's like pretty clearly based on Manhattan. You can mm. see it gets quite narrow towards the bottom, like narrower than Manhattan does. Like it's like two blocks across. So if you look at my diagram, you can see that it's just one long tunnel from like the land on either side of this island. And that's the island. There's like only space for one station on the island, as you can see. There's, these are like on the top, they have like the cutting cover lines just below the side walk that just below the street which are like the you know the, the lines that that run the red and yellow ones which were the what do you got the one train is red just like in new york and the yellow one is the e train unlike new york they're like right below the surface but then way down low you have a deep level train station you gotta take an elevator down to it's just uh, end in the port yeah this is like the very southern tip of this island named Southport, which I guess is an amalgamation of Lower Manhattan South Ferry and South Street Seaport. Very clearly my inspiration. And then I also have here a, a drawing I did. I got really into the, the Wuppertaler Schwebebahn, which I don't know if you know. You probably know about this, but our listeners might not. There is a monorail in Germany in this city called Wuppertal. It's the oldest monorail in the world. Um, but I, I, unlike the monorails that most people are used to, this monorail is what you call a suspension monorail, which means it hangs from the rail instead of being on top of it. There's this narrow river that runs through the middle of the city. And so it's this trestle that's like built over the river um, and the trains hang from it. And it's quite interesting. But anyway, I got super into it and I came up with an idea to hang a suspension monorail from the bottom deck of the George Washington Bridge. I thought it was a pretty cool idea at the time. That, that was a pretty cool idea. I, I, I was about to say, I always, I didn't know it was called Wuppertal. I always called Wuppertal. <laughs> I just, I know, I'm kind of surprised Wuppertal is still around because I just would think that having equipment like that is so expensive to maintain. I think the thing is, this train is like perfectly designed for the city, you know? Mm. Like the way it goes over this river that like the whole city is built around. It's just like, it was, it's like perfectly suited for Wuppertal. Yeah. Um, so and it's just become like this beloved icon of the city as well so it's not going anywhere anytime soon japan has a few suspension monorails you know japan wants to korea too really uh, no it might just be japan japan is like one of the few places where there are like monorails that are like used for like normal public transit you know i can't imagine getting on a monorail every day <laughs> it's just strange i would think that they're more expensive to maintain but i guess they look yeah moscow has an issue with their monorail but what does it not work well no that is just expensive to maintain oh. but then they've like insisted on making it part of their metro system it started out like as like an expensive tourist train for like an expo or something and then like they've integrated it into their metro system and like therefore it's like the same fare as the rest of the moscow mm. metro system they, it's still expensive to maintain though <laughs> and so that it's kind of a controversial thing probably bribery 
Yeah. Good old Russian bribery. What the heck? Me and my friend Aaliyah went crazy in middle school. <laughs> Burnt macaroni. What? <laughs> Gra- graphite on paper. 2016. 2016? I've... So you were like 17 years old when you made this? Yes, I was in high school. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, let me just describe this for the, our listeners. Um, <laughs> so this is a 2D, like, cartoon-style pencil drawing. We have a robed figure <laughs> with some kind of vehicle in the background that's shaped like a house. It's got, like, a, a peaked roof. <laughs> a triangular roof. <laughs> Uh, and we have what looks like a, is that like Slender Man? No, it's, it's some kind of person. Some kind of person that's very tall and narrow. And then another person with no details whatsoever. Very nondescript. Yeah, and it is captioned, burnt macaroni in quotation marks, graphite on pencil 2016, <laughs> railway boy. <laughs> I had been very bored. Welcome to North Korean golf. <laughs> oh. oh, so there was once this boy who was really into Pierce the Veil in high school. Into and he what? flipped o- Pierce the Veil. Hmm. And he flipped over a table. <sighs> and me and my bre- me and my best friend Aaliyah make fun of him to this day. So I drew this. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a very simple drawing of someone flipping a table and the, wish... a shirt that says "Pierce the Veil." <laughs> I wish you were there. It was glorious. Oh. I don't understand Burt Macaroni still. <laughs> I never will. <laughs> now let's get into the real art, the on-topic art. I had this railroad growing up called the East Coast Lines. That's a pretty good drawing of a diesel locomotive. I could have worked a lot harder on the trucks. But when I was in middle school, I had a big coloring phase. I want—I actually want to remake this to this day because I thought it was a cool, I think it's a cool idea for a poster. It just need be, needs to be redone. Oh, wow. For our listeners, we're looking at a, a colored drawing of Amtrak's clocker service. That's a toaster at the front, right? It's an E60. Oh, it's, a, it's an E60 locomotive. With, are the, those are Amfleets, right? Yeah. And it's in Amtrak Phase 3. You see, there's something there. weird going on. But there's I something a, green in the background. Those... I think that's a heritage car. Yeah. I think it's like a Pullman car. Mm. But, like, I mean, an Amfleet baggage? <laughs> <laughs> those don't exist. What and, was of I thinking? course, it's under the, the wires. Mm-hmm. It's the Northeast Corridor. Now, this really nowhere that exists in real life. It's really, I like it, though, a lot. It's an E60 going on a single track under the wire, like electrified line, and it's nighttime, and it's rounding around a curve. There's like a, a rocky outcropping, some kind of hill or mountain on, on the left side, and on the right side, there is a shimmering lake. It's, it's quite nice. This one requires some explanation, but you're going to laugh. So my art teacher asked me to make a, a poster for our, bre- for our bread sale in middle school. And for some reason, I had to make it creepy and weird as possible. So here we go. It's a train carrying huge bread loaves. <laughs> if, you can read, if you can read the serial numbers of the cars, they're from the United States Air Force. But I think the text is what makes it. They tried to protect us. The bread is coming. Uh, let me just relate to the audience the scale of these bread loaves. Right? These are, okay, these are like boxcars. And they have loaves of bread that span the entire lengths of these boxcars. And... They're about, what would you say, uh, three or four feet tall? Yeah. Bread. Um, and what, like uh, 20 feet long? Yeah, 20 or 30 feet. <laughs> and one can only imagine 
how wide they must be. There, there has to be some thick boys. Yeah. Now, this is the only map I've been able to find. I know the rest of them are somewhere, but they're hidden. I wanted to make a model train layout of the South Shore. Mm. I went ham. Oh, wow. That that is really detailed and intricate. That's that's really incredible. Did you did you show that to your model railroad club? No, I was in middle school then. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't in my model railroad club. I was just bored. But uh, you should show that to them. I feel like they'll get a kick out of it at least. Now, this was just a quick doodle. I uh, I had very strong affection for uh, in Glasgow. They had these uh, trains called blue trains. Um, in the 60s, they were made out of pressed steel, and uh, they were kind of bubble-shaped. So I On just the kind of drew. Lines? Yeah, it's not a very good drawing, but it's a drawing nonetheless. It conveys um, a. Um, it's very impressionistic. That's what I'm trying to huh. say. You know, you can make out we're in a yeah. open cut. There's a train coming out of uh, tunnel portals. Because I, I, you know, I, I think it'd be interesting to see every rail fans like art when they were young. I think it's a very interesting uh, window into the human human psyche to see everyone's ideas and how interesting they can make them. I'll have to show you when I was in high school. So when you were doing burnt macaroni. <laughs> <laughs> I did a fantasy map. I'm pretty sure I can share my screen with you and show you scans of it. But basically, what I did in high school, I made my own um, fantasy subway map for New York. So I drew this by hand with drafting tools, and I based it on a 1960s proposal for a subway map design that won this competition but then they ended up not using this style for the, the ultimate map that they ended up using but basically in this style you have every, like every route gets a, assigned a color mm -hmm. and then if two routes share like a track then you like alternate the colors that's so, really easy to understand so i just I, I took that concept and then i just made it a fantasy map where i like built all these subway lines that don't exist in addition to the ones that currently exist i made it on sheets of um printer paper that i taped together to be oh the size of the official new york city subway map brooklyn has, some, brooklyn has some incredible service yeah, I drew it. I was like, subway line down Nostrand Avenue, subway line down Utica Avenue. I extended the B train from Brighton Beach all the way down to Seagate on the old Norton's Point trolley right away. I extended like basically all the lines in Brooklyn. Um, Queens has got a whole lot more lines than it does in real life. Like I had a Northern Boulevard subway and I built a subway to LaGuardia Airport. There's 125th Street Crosstown, the Cross Bronx subway, just like a whole bunch of like stuff like, like that. You can see lower Manhattan is really crowded on this map. I drew this with a T-square and triangles. Your school had them just for use? No, I had my own because I, I wanted to oh. be an architect. Uh, my school did not teach us how to draft. I learned how to draft at Saturday classes at Cooper Union taught by students. Big recommendation to anyone who is a high school student at a public at public school in New York City, apply for the Saturday program at Cooper Union. You will get free classes taught by students. You can do drawing, painting, sculpture, architecture, sound, composition, just a bunch of cool stuff. So I'm going to share my screen. This was at school. This actually happened. I used to do this. I used to set up a train track at the lunch table and mm. just watch it go round. <laughs> you could see two goldfish are on the right of way. <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of the Playmobil train, which I've shown but you. But way smaller. But way smaller, yeah. So uh, for our listeners who don't know, growing up, I got a Playmobil RCE Radio Control Express train, which is an incredible piece of German engineering. It's a G-scale train that you could put Playmobil figures in. The tracks are made of plastic. You can ride a bike over the tracks without breaking them. It's insanely tough and durable. A lot of fun. Oh, wow. That's a detailed track layout. This okay. is actually for the game Gary's Mod. Mm. This was supposed to be a map. And then I would I would build like railroads in Minecraft. <gasps> oh! 
I've... Aaron, I, I wish I knew you middle school. That's all I did. <laughs> I can't remember what my um, password was for my Minecraft account, and I'm really annoyed, but I need to figure it out because I, I have some incredible things in there. I actually drew maps on paper of like my Minecraft railroad. I had a Minecraft world called Railroad Junction where we just build like railroads and I'd have these like... No, in Minecraft, what I used to do is I used to... Um... Why are there pictures of bears? <laughs> this is weird. Oh, that time I tried to write for Trains Magazine and they, they let me down. Aww. I hate Trains Magazine anyway. They're very elitist. Railfine and Railroad is a magazine of the people. Anyway, in Minecraft, uh, I used to go on servers and that's all I would do is I would build train systems. And uh, it makes me so mad because either the servers would shut down or I would get banned for griefing. <laughs> Those would be the two things that would happen. Oh. But uh, I've laid down a ridiculous amount of track. I estimate it was about six 600,000 pieces laid wow. over three years because that's all I would do over summer vacation. Um, and then I like the signing stations too. I can't show you on this computer because I don't have the pictures. But I had the style station that was made out of sandstone. It was brick. And I, I would like repeat it, like I, I could build it by memory. <laughs> and um, for the terminals, what I would do is I would have two layers at the terminal. I would have a, a out a outbound uh, layer, then have an inbound layer, and then they would uh, the outbound layer would snap on to the track. The like leading direction of the track would be the uh, inbound. So I know you remember how Minecraft switches work. They were just really strange. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'd have two layers. And then I just go wherever there were people. I and there, on some servers, I'd actually got get to the point where if someone built a road, I would build a bridge over it. But on other roads, I would actually build a crossing gate nice. with redstone. I built some and, of those uh, with I um, had, pressure had, plates. Uh huh. I had the I had the redstone. Uh, I had a funnel that led into an ender chest uh, where people could make complaints <laughs> if the crossing didn't work. Oh. <laughs> uh. So I didn't do servers. Mm. I would just go in creative mode. I had my world called Railroad Junction. I would make these little villages that had different themes. I had a desert city, which grew into Emerald City, which ended up being like the main city in my, my world. I had like a Greek themed one that was like Olympia. I had Sky Village, which I built on like the top level, the max build height did it did, how the hell did you serve that by train let me explain this place so initially it was only served by ferry that probably still doesn't make any sense to you you take a ferry which you know you would just row a boat but i had whole maps of ferry routes mm. but anyway you would row your boat from the ferry terminal to this ferry terminal that was underneath guy village and then there was a very tall brick column that you could go inside and there was just a ladder that would go up oh my god and so you would just <laughs> climb this ladder all the way up over time i decided to put um a staircase around the, <laughs> the original ladder i built like this staircase which was still pretty brutal this is you know the spiral staircase and i like expanded the shaft around it and then i built a train that spiraled around that shaft <laughs> all the way up <laughs> It was very dizzying to ride. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's pretty much how it stayed served. Eventually, I built a train line to where the, the, ferry term, the ferry terminal was at the base, and you could take, you know, the shuttle train that went up the around the, the spiral uh -huh. staircase up to the top. Was the city supported by anything, or did it just naturally float? It just floated. You know, Minecraft just, physics. Just, just, just by the grace of God. It was, it was it like, entirely made of brick just like brick at the top level build height i mean i guess it was supported by this the shaft with the staircase i mean this was like a three meter by three meter brick shaft holding up like an entire village with farms and houses so it was, all, to... it was all on the top level build height so like you could build from the road to the like max build height i think was like enough space for like a single story so if houses had like a second floor it would be a basement level like underneath okay but you know it's not really a basement because you're like at the max build height so you have windows and stuff you're not underground you're just below the street yeah and like looking down and you're like what the fuck is holding this building up <laughs> 
Uh, I had a cave city that was underground in a cave. I, I was about to say, I need to show you some of our videos from Gmod. So I know Anthony's told you about what we've done in Gmod before, but like one of our main maps is our, of like a freight, like a freight short line that is half on the surface, but half underground in a crystal mine and the crystals glow. <laughs> and at That's the so very cool. at the very end is uh, is a big city called uh, Rockford, and uh, I I made him make a pasture terminal there just just for just for pasture uh, people who ran pasture trains. But at the very bottom a city, there's a lava river that flows through it. Oh, that's sick. Why didn't I put a lava river in my cave city? That would have been so much cooler. Well, I mean, in real life, you would die. <laughs> that's true. But I mean, I did a lot of things that in real life you would die, like building an entire village, like in the know, sky. Yeah, 100 meters up. Aaron, you're going to hate me. Oh, boy. I want to redo the entire podcast because I want to be able to get the art out. Should I, I, I Should I stop the recording then? Well, I don't think we have to throw out the whole podcast. I think we just need a recess. So welcome back. This is part two of I don't know what this episode's become. Talking about the experiences between me and Aaron uh, oh, just wait. dreaming. All right. We can resume recording now that I have submitted my yearbook photo 10 minutes after the deadline welcome to part two of me and aaron recanting our adventures growing up as rail fans and all the grand and crazy ideas we came up with in minecraft and drawings or whatever have you well i don't i don't know where to really restart the conversation so you're curious how i've when i first got into trains see when i was like three years old i would just sit on the floor with like the subway map spread out on like the living room floor and just like trace all the lines with my fingers And of course, I had a bunch of Thomas the Tank Engine trains, which I, I loved. Uh, back when they were still made of wood, the good stuff, you know. These kids these days, they don't know what they're missing out on. Uh, no, I think they have a little bit better than us. With their moving toys and they come up with, they come with sound. Mm. Like, come on. Yeah, but... I went back in my day, you had to move the trains by hand. <laughs> yeah, but like ours were like... You know, we had like the wooden Thomas the Tank Engine yeah. trains and the wooden tracks and like it was all very like yeah solid and you know you could you could play with that for years and years and years and like it would hold up. And our model train club, uh, the dealer actually sells toy trains. He has this collection of Brio, and mm. these Brio trains are ridiculous. Now they come up with they have transferable loads. They have like oil, and they have crates that have a magnet on top that you could load with a crane, and then they have wooden boats that you can load them onto, <laughs> and trucks. It's just like you guys are spoiled. Yeah, Brio is what German? I think Brio is German. Yeah, that seems like a very German thing what you're describing recently when i unearthed my playmobil train for the first time in years i did some research online on playmobil trains and they have this like mega cargo train set that they only sell in germany with like this whole like crane that you can like crank by hand with like little wires you can like pick up we have pallets and shipping little pallets and shipping containers that you could load with little plastic oil barrels and um other things why can't we have cool stuff like that the train toys kind of suck in the u.s now they don't even sell the RCE, Radio Control Express, anymore in the U.S. They just don't sell, like, Playmobil trains here anymore. They sell, like, track pieces still, but that's it. I looked up Brio, and the first thing that came up was Brio Italian Grill, but spelled, like, G-R-I-L-L-E. And I was like, oh, Brio Italian Grille. And I was expecting it to be, like, toy trains. <laughs> but no, it's just, like, a restaurant. <laughs> the heck i wish i had that oh well now i'm just getting plain off topic here playmobil has a plane yeah and they have like an airport oh, security that's so cool okay i found the brio website uh our company i guess they still they still make their their stuff out of wood but wow yeah they're the brio trains are a lot more detailed now you know mm-hmm. like ours were really simple you know? yeah just a lot more and they come with sounds too some do oh my goodness 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like I have a lot more respect for Brio now than when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I was like, this is just like the lame version of Thomas Tank Engine. But now I have a lot of respect because they still make all, most of their stuff out of wood. Oh, I was wrong. They're Swedish. Brio was founded in 1884 in Osby, a small town located in southern Sweden. Today, the small family-run business has grown into the global company Brio AB with subsidiaries in Germany, France, and Japan and distributors around the world. Wow, I had no idea they were so old. Well, I literally have nothing to say. <laughs> Should we just go to Railroad News? Yeah, we can do Railroad News. I think there's a long discussion to be had on Railroad News. A lot, a lot is going on right now. Uh, it's almost too much, actually, within the last week. Um, hello, my name is Kate Commands, and I'm your reporter for ABC7. We're reporting for a live from our field office at Head Station. New York. I mean, we've already reported on the fact that they're going to have sleeper cars on the Night Owl. But yeah, that they've started selling those tickets. Um, the Night Owl being, of course, Amtrak train 66 and 67, the, the overnight Northeast regional trains. They're bringing back sleeper cars on them. Yes. Um, and they started selling tickets for those, which I really wanted to on the first night, but it's okay. But one thing I didn't report on that I didn't know is that if you're a sleeping car pasture, you're going to be offered a complimentary alcoholic drink as you leave the night. And when you get to your destination in the morning, you'll have a continental breakfast at the station, either in D.C. or Boston. Yeah. So uh, it, it's, actually, it's actually a really nice service. I'm very happy to see it come back. Um, because until then, Amtrak has been on just a re- it's been on a really tough uh, tough luck streak as far as getting service cut left and right. So really, this is I think this is the first big thing to happen in quite a while actually. Uh, they also and- have the restoration of daily long distance services. As, yes, as you had reported from your inside knowledge, it has become official. And they're bringing back dining. Yes, um, real food on Amtrak long distance trains. I couldn't imagine, you know, even three months ago that we'd be having these conversations so fast. Um, I know that, you know, with Joe Biden in office, you know, it definitely helps. I didn't have my hopes that high, to be honest. You know, of course, you know, you have to see what happens when we actually get there. But um, just well, look, the change look at my rhetoric. college. I mean, their plan for the fall semester is going to be 50% of classes will still be online. Really? Yeah, even though now the, they're saying that most people will probably be vaccinated well mm-hmm. before then. They're slow to act. So it's surprising to see the government is moving faster than my school. <laughs> Although, honestly, I'm not that surprised considering how slow Pratt has been for everything. We were the last school in New York City to cancel in-person classes last year. We're like two days over a year from when Pratt finally canceled in-person instruction. And they were like, yeah, we'll be back in person for like the week of April the 1st. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they're so naive. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Then there was that like that week immediately after, which was like you know, our spring break when I was supposed to be in Cuba and everyone was canceling plans with me, but no one had like explained the concept of social distancing to me yet. And I was, I was very confused what Uh was going on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the Long Island Railroad. Oh dear. Uh, So the MTA, right, has been struggling. You know, ridership went way down because of COVID. It hasn't really recovered to pre-pandemic levels yet, but it particularly dropped on the commuter railroads. Now, the MTA was worried that they were going to have to make doomsday cuts if they didn't get federal funding. But they've got some federal funding, enough to stave off like the worst cuts. However, they decided to make cuts to commuter rail service because that's where the ridership has dropped the most and not really Mm. recovered. They're like, well, ridership has gone down 80% on Long Island Railroad and Metro North, so we should cut you know, 80% of trains. These cuts went into effect on Monday. Now, in doing so, what 
they didn't realize, right? So, okay. Yes, it's true that like ridership dropped tremendously. However, ridership did not drop uniformly throughout the day. You know, mm. most of the people who work like nine to five jobs in offices, those were like the people who stopped taking the train because they had either the option to work from home or they could afford to drive into the city and felt that that was safer covid wise but working class people who are you know work a lot of jobs where they don't have the option to work from home they also can't afford to drive into the city still take the train mm. and those people are generally more likely to start work earlier in the morning mm. So while later in the morning, like the eight o'clock train for like everyone who's like working at 9am, like that train's empty, but like, you know, the 6am, 7am train for like all these people coming in the early shift is pretty much almost as crowded as it was before the pandemic, right? You know, they've caught like 80% of the trains throughout the entire day, including in the time when you have like 80% of the riders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the result is you ended up with some pretty crowded trains and people were really mad justifiably and were saying like you know this is not what the heck yeah what the heck this is like not safe there's a pandemic we're supposed to be social distancing and so they made a stink and literally the next day the mta released this like oh we hear you loud and clear so two weeks from now we're bringing back the old schedule <laughs> and in the meantime we're going to try and supplement our, our schedule with additional trains to meet demand <laughs> oh, they showed up at andrew cromo's house all of them <laughs> also should we talk about ameristar <laughs> read the article on the Maristar yet. I know what they're doing, but I haven't. I, actually, I think I want to hear this from you. Okay. What's going on with the Maristar? So admittedly, I have not read the entire article either. But from my understanding, there is this private company called Ameristar Rail, which I hate the name a lot. They use a single R for star and rail. Uh -huh. It's just very tacky. I do not like the name of this company. So we're already on a bad foot, in my opinion just from the name of it. And we haven't even gotten into what they're like proposing doing. They're proposing operating privately their own service on the Northeast Corridor competing with Amtrak on Amtrak's tracks. I guess they would pay like a fee to use the tracks and then they would run their own trains and sell their own tickets. My personal opinion is I am not a very big fan of private train operating companies, especially if they're running on public infrastructure uh -huh. and like, you know, freeloading off of it. But also the other thing that you have to keep in mind here is that because we live in this very strange country that we do, Amtrak is supposed to make a profit it right <laughs> like they're like legally obligated by Kong, you know they're supposed to be run like a business they're supposed to make a profit the northeast corridor is like amtrak's one very profitable route that they then use to fund their very unprofitable long distance services which are like the essential transportation links for a lot of rural communities in this country yeah. But, you know, they don't really make money. So I feel that, like, introducing, like, a competitor on the Northeast Corridor that will then, like, siphon away some of that money is a bad idea because then you're not going to have money to fund your, your the long-distance routes. Mm -hmm. You know? In this article, it also mentioned that some of the ideas that Ameristar Rail came up with um, that they would like to use to improve train service on the Northeast Corridor currently being explored by Amtrak anyway. And supposedly one of those in ideas is running Amtrak trains onto Long Island Railroad to Jamaica Station or possibly beyond. Oh my god. I, I know this is going to be a huge project for Amtrak, but whenever they do get to the Amfleet replacement, I think we're going to see an Amfleet replacement within five years. Yeah. I really do. I don't I don't think it could be too much longer. Well, it could be like um, VRL in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> and just, and just have... keep things around forever. 
Yeah. Well, you know what they say, bud don't break. It's and true. That's Amp true. are buds. They have lived way past their expected. Andrew Cuomo, are you listening? Bud don't break. Stop trying to replace the R32s. We're gonna, I think we're going to see the R32 one more time. Yeah, I hope so. I think that'll wrap up the podcast. Yeah. But just one more thing about privatization. We all seen how it worked out in England. They still own the public infrastructure, but private train operating companies run the service. British Rail built great trains up until privatization. They built the advanced passenger train in the 80s. They built the Intercity HST, which is one of the greatest trains of all time. They built the Class 91, which is based on the APT technology. And then after British Rail went to the wayside, and with them their uh, engineering division, they started buying trains from Europe. And then the rail network just kind of got very congested and kind of uh, kind of stagnant, I would say. Yeah. Uh, not as many rural services, for sure. And it's... Yeah expensive too yes very expensive <laughs> when i had the opportunity to go to england last year i rode on avanti west coast new charter they had the class 390s from virgin trains and actually i don't think my set was even painted yet it was just a white class 390 mm-hmm. uh, it was that it was just the company was that new it was like their first month of operation wow um and i have a picture that i'm gonna have to link in with all the other ones where I'm just standing in the corridor of a class 390. No one had room to put their bags. And I was literally, there were no seats and there was only room to stand in the vestibule. And uh, I couldn't get a seat until I want to say we were either at Preston or Carlisle, um, which is a ways down the line. It was about two hours before I got a seat. Oh, wow. Um, and that wasn't the only experience I had on uh, the East Coast Mainline running uh, LNER. I didn't have a place to sit, sit either for a little bit. Uh, a lot of people were just uh, chilling on the vestibules, just on the floor or just standing. Wow. Real LIRR vibes. Yeah, except it's no fun when you have to do it for three hours. Yeah. Which I wouldn't mind, but the British people think differently, and rightfully so. It can't it can't be said that people won't ride train. It's just what's the best way to do them. And there's already been talk of in the British rail circles about renationalization of the rail network, which is something that we may or may not see happen. But uh in, in America, I don't know how privatization would work out if it would even be feasible. Of course, you know, we have the biggest issue where we, the public doesn't own much of the infrastructure for our passenger trains, which is why Amtrak has to exist as an entity yeah. at all. I don't know why you would kick Amtrak off the Northeast Corridor when I think that they're doing a great job. I don't think they could do too much different uh, given the political structure they've been given. But I do think it is time to rethink Amtrak, rethink the equation. Well, I think, I think I've said my piece on tonight. Um, an interesting rural news uh, uh, section. Yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be an interesting one to edit. Huh? <laughs> I I don't know how you're gonna do it. Yeah, I guess I don't know. We'll end the recording now.